Our Old Testament reading this evening is Psalm 1. Psalm 1, this will be our sermon text as well. Psalm 1, this is God's word, brothers and sisters. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And our New Testament reading is John 15, 1-10. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples." As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. To turn back with me, if, you, if you'd like to follow along with Psalm 1, back, back to Psalm 1, that is our sermon text this evening. Let's pray God's blessing. Father, what glory we see in your word. We, we pray you'd open our eyes to see it yet more clearly and, and cause it to penetrate to our hearts. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us, speak to us, we pray. For Christ's sake. Amen. So uh, for this summer, I'd like to do a series in the Psalms, just kind of taking particular Psalms and, and working our way through the book. Um, picking a few here, a few there, uh, working through the whole book together like that. But before I dive into Psalm 1 particularly tonight, just, just a few words on, um, on this series in the Psalms and what we're going to be trying to do. I think often when we come to the Psalms, they're, they're so easily relatable. They're so precious, right? Many of them, they're written in the first person, so we can kind of own them. They're great devotional material. Uh, they speak to the language of our hearts very well, right? Calvin famously said, they're an anatomy of every part of the soul. Every part of our soul is, is here in the Psalms. 
So we love the, the language of the Psalms. And uh, my, my goal in the series isn't to, isn't to challenge that at all, but rather to increase it, increase our love for the Psalms and, 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 and deepen our understanding of them. Um, because the Psalms aren't just, aren't just for our, you know, our personal worship and devotion, though they're, they're wonderful for that, and I don't want to in any way undermine that, but they're also rich with theology, and they're, they have a, an important part to play in um, Scripture as a whole. Right? There, there's a bigger picture to them that I'd like us to, to get as, we're, as we work through them together. Um, the, the, the groupings of the Psalms, right? The, uh, I think we often look at the Psalms as kind of like pearls on a string, right? You, you can take one and you can admire that one and, and it, it's wonderful, but you don't really see it uh, in relation to the others, right? But, but we should look at them more as like links in a chain where, where there's, a, there's a wider scope here. There's a bigger picture here. Um, the, uh, and I want to do this by, by looking for different psalms from the five books of the Psalter. All right, there are actually five books of psalms in the one book of psalms. Um, different, uh, right, there's book one, is psalms one through 41, and then, right, there's book two, book three, book four, book five, these collections within the psalms that you'll see if you, if you, if you read through them. And each of these books isn't, isn't kind of a random, just assortment of psalms that, that someone just kind of threw together. Right? But they have, they have a theme, they have cohesion together. And so understanding that will help us understand each psalm itself a little better. Right, the, um, the three rules of exegesis are context, context, context. Uh, but often I think we come to the psalms and we, we, we forget that. We say, well, in the psalms, you just re- you look at that psalm. And, and that's true, right? They are self-contained, but they're in a context. And understanding that will help us uh, to flesh this out. So... We're starting with Book 1 of the Psalter. And we'll look at Psalm 1 tonight, which obviously is part of Book 1. Um, and, and, and we'll see how many uh, more in Book 1 we, we consider together. But Book 1 of the Psalter, Psalms 1 through 41. Uh, the big theme in this book of the Psalms is confrontation. I'm uh, drawing here a lot on a particular theologian, O. Palmer Robertson. He has a wonderful book on this. I'd, I'd love to recommend it. Um, but... Um, he, he says the theme of this first book of the Psalter is confrontation. What, what does that mean? What's confrontation? Well, it's, it's conflict, right? It's, it's struggle. It's a fight. Now, the historical backdrop for, these, for this first book of the Psalter would be, right, picture, picture David. Think of David and those early years uh, of his, of his uh, struggle to get to the throne. Here's the Lord's anointed, and he's under persecution, and he's suffering, he's facing enemies, he's, he's facing conflict within the people of God, he's facing conflict from without, right, the Philistines. Uh, the question is, is God going to fulfill his promise? Is he going to get his king on the throne of Israel? Is, is he going to bless the godly like he's promised to do? Or are the wicked going to have the victory. That's, that's the, kind of the historical backdrop of the first book of the Psalter, Psalms 1 through 41. And, and that's, that's the big theme that we see in these Psalms. God, right? God blessing His people as He uh, raises up His anointed one uh, to be their king in this conflict that is surrounding the godly and the wicked. And we see that, don't we? Even as we come to Psalm 1. So let's uh, that's enough introduction. Let's turn and look at Psalm, Psalm 1 in particular. 
Uh, Psalm 1 is hugely important for the Psalter. Um, it's sort of like the, the doorway to the Psalter. It's, it's, a, it's with a pair. It's, it's Psalm 1 and 2. They're kind of like two pillars at the entrance to the, the whole book. Or you might think of them as like an overture to a symphony, right? There in the overture of the symphony, you hear all the, the hints of what's to come. You hear all the, the major themes kind of in a seed form that are going to be played out in the whole symphony. And that's what we get with Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. Psalm 1 is about the righteous man that God blesses, the righteous man who keeps God's law. And Psalm 2 is about uh, God's anointed king. And those are the two themes that we see running through the whole book of Psalms. So, Psalm 1 is, is, uh, is, is hugely important. Here we are at the entrance to the building. right? And here, here's, the, here's the gate. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 focuses on the righteous man, as I said who keeps God's law. Um, it's, uh, it's focused heavily on God's law. It's called a Torah psalm, a law psalm. Um, there's a number of other Torah psalms that happen throughout the book. All right, psalm 19. Psalm 119 is one long love poem to the law of God. Uh, so there are these Torah psalms, and all of them have their roots here in this first one. And here's what, here's what Psalm 1 says about the righteous man who keeps God's law. Uh, He says that he is blessed, right? That's how it begins. Blessed is the man. The psalm begins uh, with this statement. It's a really surprising statement. Um, It's uh, God is saying, here's the good life. Here Here is what God says the good life is. Here is a picture God's inspired picture of the, of the enviable life, the, the kind of life you look at and you say, I wish I, were, I, wish I had that guy's life. Right, in our culture, we think of the good life and we probably are picturing you know, a celebrity, right? a sports star uh, uh, or something, uh, someone who seems to have it all. God says, no, here's the good life, the blessed life, the enviable, happy life. It looks like this. It looks like delight in the law of God. I don't think anything probably could be further from our culture's picture of the good life than, uh, than that it's the life of delighting in and keeping God's law. I mean, who, who wants to live a life in strict obedience to God? Who, who wants to, who wants to uh, uh, live a life that's obsessed with God's word and following it faithfully? That's not what our culture Uh, calls the good life at all. We don't associate law with joy, holiness with happiness, but that's what God's Word does. God says, here's the way. Here's the secret to the good life. It's the life of following His law, delighting in His law. All right. That's That's the message of the psalm here. Let's unpack it together. Three points. Three points this evening. Number one, the delight of the godly. The delight of the godly. Verses 1 and 2. uh, We get two statements in these first two verses of the psalm as it it begins. First, verse 1 tells us about what the blessed man doesn't do. And then verse 2 tells us about what he does do. Right? Straightforward. What what he doesn't do and then what he does do. So so first, verse 1. Here's what the blessed man doesn't do. It says this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
So the blessed man, the man living the good life according to God, is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, In other words, he doesn't live his life according to the advice that he gets from those who live without reference to God. He He doesn't live his life the way those who don't trust the Lord live their lives and and advise him to live his life. He doesn't structure his thinking according to the unbeliever's way of thinking. That's the first thing. He He doesn't think the way unbelievers think, and he doesn't think the way they want him to think. He also doesn't stand. So we've gone on this progression from walking now to standing. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. So, so he doesn't just, it's not just that he's uh, not structuring his thinking the way the wicked think. No, he's also not structuring his living the way the wicked live. He doesn't, he doesn't spend time with, with those who break God's law. He doesn't linger with them, hang out with them, we might say. He doesn't copy their behavior and, and, and live the way they live. That's the second thing that he doesn't do. And then we're told he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. So he doesn't, he doesn't think the way the unbelievers think, act the way they act, and then he doesn't take up residence among them. He doesn't sit down and stay with them and live with them and make his home with them in the way that they live. It's interesting here, isn't it, that this is the final point in the progression that we've gone on, right? This descent into uh, ungodliness. The lowest point to which someone can descend, according to this opening of Psalm 1, is being scornful, being a scoffer, right? That means, you know, making someone who makes fun of somebody. We, we would think that the lowest point would be, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't, you know, I mean, the lowest point is, you know, live the way the wicked live. You know, but, but, but who doesn't join in with scoffing? What's, what's dangerous about scoffing and laughing, mocking? Listen to what one commentator says here. He says that this scornful attitude is fatal. He says, The scoffers, if not the most scandalous of sinners, are the farthest from repentance. That's, that's why this is the end of the progression. Not because their sin is so scandalous, but because they're far from repentance, because they're just laughing at the things of God. They don't care at all about God. Not, it's not like they're angry with Him. They just don't care. It's, it's a game. It's a, it's a joke to them. So this is, this is what God says the righteous man doesn't do. He doesn't think the way the ungodly think. Live the way they live or join in with those who mock God. And so God tells us, this is the first part of how we live a blessed life. It's by fighting these things, not doing these things. Brothers and sisters, hear God's word here. Hear that this is the way to live a rich, full, blessed life, a good life according to God, a life that refuses to be directed by the counsel of the wicked, right? The, the wisdom of this world. This, this wisdom, that, this so-called wisdom that is, you know, 24-7 being pushed on us. The world's way of thinking, right? To, to live uh, according to the wisdom of those people who, who just live as though God doesn't exist. Don't live like that. Don't, uh, don't train your minds there. That's what the blessed man doesn't do. 
Then we're told what he does do. Verse, verse 2 puts it positively like this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. There's a sudden contrast. There's like a, the, 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 the law of God is set up over against all the advice and counsel of the wicked about how to live stands God's law. God is saying, don't, don't pay attention to, to all of them. Listen to just this one thing. Listen to my word. Follow my teaching, my instruction, my law. It's interesting here that this is the only positive mark that we're given in the psalm for the blessed man. This, right, we're told several things he doesn't do. But the one thing we're told he does is that he gives himself to God's law. He has a single-minded focus on God and his word. This is how he thinks, walks, lives. This is everything to him. We're told here that the focus of his attention, of the blessed man's attention, is the law of God. It doesn't just refer to the commandments of God, it includes them, but it really means the whole of God's revealed counsel. It means his instruction, his teaching, everything that he's told us to do. And notice, notice how the psalmist tells us uh, what this man's attitude is towards God's teaching. It's not a chore for him to train his mind and live according to God's law. It's, it's his delight. What, what delights you? Right. What do you, how do, how do you, what, what shows that's, that you're delighted in something? What would those who know you best say you delight in? Uh, kids, what, what do you delight in? What do you love to do? Right. There's a story told of a certain young man that I know um, when he was quite young in Sunday school. And uh, the teacher asked him, you know, if a robber broke into the house, uh, what would you be worried about him stealing? And this certain young man said, the refrigerator. Um, of course, it was me in Sunday school. And uh, my wife remembers this quite well. Uh, I don't remember it. Um, but I said the refrigerator, because as a child, what did I love? What did I delight in? Snacks, right? The refrigerator. What do you delight in? Well, the psalm here calls us to delight in the Lord's law. Would, would your wife, would your husband, would your children, would your parents, your friends look at your life and say, his life delights in God's law. That's where his joy is. That's where his pleasure is. It's in listening to God, following his instruction. You know, we can say, yeah, we, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and we love the Scriptures, but what do our lives testify to about this love? This delight in God's law shows up in the righteous man's life in a very active way. Verse 2 tells us he meditates on God's law. He does it day and night, we're told. Uh, this doesn't mean he doesn't do the responsibilities and duties he's called to do. Um, he's not a lazy man. Uh, he's not you know, shirking his responsibilities. But, but, but this, is, this is where his mind is drawn, like a magnet, right? This is, this is where he's drawn, to God's law, day and night. This is, this is what his mind is steeped in. His, the blessed man, his, his, his whole soul is sort of steeped in Bible. This is the language that comes most readily to him. This is the thinking that comes most naturally to him. Thinking shaped by God's Word. Spurgeon has an excellent quote regarding this. He says, 
Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the Word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it. Till we've taken it into our inmost parts, eat into the very soul of the Bible. Until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. Spurgeon goes on. He, he highlights an example of someone that, that he, he saw in Christian history who did this. John Bunyan, the author of uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Spurgeon says that if you spend time reading Bunyan, you would say, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the Word of God. That's the blessed man. That's the positive mark of the righteous man. Are we endeavoring after that? That's how the psalm starts. That's the first stanza. Then it turns in verses 3 to 4, and it gives us a picture of what this looks like. The picture of, of, of how this turns out. And that's our, this is our second point, the destiny of the godly and the wicked. Verses 3 to 4, the destiny of the godly and the wicked. So first in verses 1 to 2, we saw the negative and positive uh, 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 sides of, of, of what the godly man doesn't do and what he does do. And now in the second stanza here, we see the result of this kind of life. Here's the result of the kind of life that listens to the counsel of the wicked, and then here's the result of the kind of life that listens to God's counsel. Two vivid pictures. The first, verse 3. He shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It's a beautiful picture. I'm sure we could think of, uh, you know, imagine that well in our minds, a mature tree, Planted uh, near the water, the, uh, the, the Hebrew word there for rivers really means irrigation canals. This is a well-tended tree that has a constant supply of water. Uh, and this, this tree is, uh, is drinking up the life-giving water of God's Word. It's producing fruit richly. You know, it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do, when it's supposed to do it. Uh, it's, it's, it's not scorched by the heat. It's strong, it's enduring, it's full of life, it's fruitful. That's what the godly man is. Right? Because, because he has soaked himself, because he drinks up God's Word, right? he brings forth fruit. Because he's uh, 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 rich in the Word of God, he, he doesn't wither when difficulty and suffering and temptation comes. Suffering doesn't make that tree wither. No, it makes its fruit and its green leaf stand out all the more clearly as a mark of, of, of being filled with God's Word. The psalmist then turns from that beautiful picture to a, a very different one to show us the result of the lifestyle of the wicked or the ungodly. Verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. That would have been a familiar scene to the ancient Israelite. It might not be so much for us, but in ancient Israel, as they are winnowing the grain, as they're, as they're kind of sifting through it, they, they toss the grain in the air, um, let the wind catch the chaff, 
and then it sweeps the, the chaff away. They, it blows the chaff away. Right, or you, in our, a, a picture for us might be dandelion seeds. Right, You pick up a dandelion that's passed, and you blow on it, and the, the seeds just fly away in the breeze. No resistance at all. So the picture here is something rootless, something weightless, something with, with no resistance when the wind comes. Something impermanent, useless, and therefore to be destroyed. The, uh, the psalmist here is, is giving us an image, brothers and sisters. He's, he's trying to, to burn it into our mind's eye. To show us the different end of the way the righteous live and the way the wicked live. So, brothers and sisters, remember this imagery, right? Fix this imagery in your mind. On the one hand, the fruitful tree, that's the end of living a life delighting in the law of God. On the other hand, the chaff blown away, useless, scattered and destroyed. That's the end of a life that doesn't delight in God's law. So that's what we're we're given here, these two contrasting images. And then the psalmist turns in the final stanza, verses 5 to 6, to show us the end of the righteous and the wicked. He gave us a picture of it, and now we look, he gives it to us explicitly. Verses 5 to 6, our third point, the discrimination, the discrimination of God. We're given three lines here on on the wicked man's destiny. Let's, let's start there. In verse 5, we're told this, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. He's saying when the final day of judgment comes, the ungodly won't stand there. They'll, they, they're going to fall. They're going to be destroyed. right? Blown away like chaff in the face of a hurricane. Then verse 5 goes on and adds this, Sinners won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. Sinners won't have a place among the people of God. That verse is saying. And then verse 6 concludes by saying, and the way of the ungodly will perish. Right? Picture, picture a road with the bridge out and no sign warning you it's out. And you're hurtling down that road. That's the way of the ungodly. Its certain end is ruin, destruction. That's the end of the wicked. But wonderfully, gloriously, right, there's another end. There's a different end. There is the end of the righteous as well. Uh, we're, we're told that when God's wrath comes and the day of judgment comes, some will stand. Listen to verse 6. It says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's interesting. We, we would probably expect the verse to say, the Lord will bless the way of the righteous or the Lord will protect the righteous in the last day, the day of judgment. But it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word know is used, of course, of intimate relationships in the Bible. Close friendship, love, and care. How a husband knows his wife. The psalmist is saying the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the righteous. That's the way the NIV gives it to us. The Lord is deeply invested in the righteous, we might say. He has an intimate knowledge of, of their days, and He has an intimate knowledge of what they need. And he's, he's caring for them, watching over them, shepherding them along their way. It's precious, loved ones. For the, for the righteous, the Lord watches over your way. The, the events of every day are the careful dispensing of His wise and good providence for you. 
It's not the way it often feels, right? It can often feel like uh, we're, we're walking through hardship to a questionable end. Uh, difficulties come. We see this so uh, clearly, right, in, in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, right? Christian is on his way to the celestial city, but time after time he's hitting opposition and difficulty and hardship. He's barely started and he lands in a swamp. doesn't feel like he's on the blessed road, living the blessed life. But he is. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord will keep the righteous to the end. I want us to notice, brothers and sisters here, we've, we've seen the end of the wicked, we've seen the end of the righteous. Notice here that there are only two. There's not three ends. Uh, there's only two lifestyles in this psalm, and there's only two ends, destinies, in this psalm. It's, it's one or the other. You can't kind of find a middle road where you, where you, where you dabble in the Word of God and, and dabble with following Him. Right? No, it's, it's either you meditate on his law and delight in it, or you're living the, the wicked life. You're, you're on the road to destruction. So brothers and sisters, choose the good life according to God. Delight yourself in his law. Delight yourself in him. Live by his counsel. But the, the final question then is, what if we don't? What if we can't do that? If, if we're honest with ourselves... Do we qualify as the righteous? Well, it's, it's at this point that I think it's helpful for us to zoom out just a little. See what the uh, context here might tell us. If we look over at Psalm 2, right? The pair that goes with Psalm 1. We see a psalm that's all about God's anointed. All about God's Messiah who's going to come. And there, so we see this, this pairing. A law song with a Messiah song. We see this again in the Psalter, but we'll see it. Uh, psalm 18 is a Messiah psalm paired with Psalm 19, a law psalm. Psalm 118, a Messiah psalm paired with Psalm 119, a law psalm. Why this pairing in the Psalter over and over of a, of a law psalm and a Messiah psalm? Like here, right? It's, it's telling us that God's anointed king is the blessed man who's going to keep God's law. Right, we saw this in our study of Joshua. God tells Joshua to lead and rule Israel well by keeping his law. Right, Joshua is a picture of the blessed man. He rules well by keeping God's law. And that's where Psalm 1 is really ultimately pointing us. It points us to the one who keeps this law and who rules by this law. It's pointing us to the blessed man par excellence, our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He is the one who meditated on God's law day and night, who, who, who was flawlessly righteous, who delighted in his, in, in his Father's law, heeded his law, kept his law without fail. And that's our only hope. You know, as, as we read this psalm, we, we do see this picture of what we're to strive after. But our hope is that Jesus did this perfectly. And that's the only hope I have, that I'm not ending up like the wicked. He is the, the blessed man, the righteous man. And, and it's only in Him that I have a hope of ending up in the assembly of the godly and not with the wicked in the day of judgment. But there's more. There, there's, there's more. That's, that's part of our glorious hope as we read this psalm. Jesus did it for me. And I don't face destruction. I face uh, blessing from God. But there's more. 
It's not enough for Jesus just to be the one who perfectly keeps God's law for us. It's true and essential that he is, but Jesus is also the one who rules by God's law. Right? He's the one who leads the people perfectly in, in learning God's law and following his law. That's, that's what the Israelite kings of the Old Testament were supposed to do, to, to know the law and keep the law themselves and lead the people in keeping it better and better. And that's what Jesus does with us. That's why we read John 15 earlier. Right? We can't bear fruit in ourselves. We bear fruit through our union with him, the living and fruitful one. So as we close, let me, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. Get in the Word of God. Meditate on it and pray for a delight in it. And, and structure your life by it. But don't rest in that and trust in that. Rest in and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And cry out to Him for strength to, to do this more and more faithfully. For this is the, this is the path that leads to the final blessing. This is the truly good life according to our Lord. Let's pray together.